Space, the final frontier. These are the episodes of the Cheap Astronomy Podcast, its self-imposed mission to talk about strange new worlds, to discuss new life and new civilizations, to cheaply go where no podcast has gone before. Dear Cheap Astronomy, a Borg-like species seems technically and biologically feasible. How would we humans measure up against such a threat? The Borg were a collective of humanoids with lots of tech gear and tubes stuck into them. Their collective intelligence was maintained by some form of electromagnetic radiation, which could be actively blocked to isolate individuals. And they also sometimes returned to a docking station, presumably for maintenance, upgrades and updates, and probably also to be turned off and turned on again, which is now widely regarded across the universe as the best way to fix pretty much anything. Now, before we go too far with this, it's necessary to deal with the issue of the Borg Queen, introduced in the movie Star Trek First Contact. While a useful plot device, assigning a leadership role to a single individual kind of undermines the whole Borg concept and leaves any Borg collective at huge risk of destruction since, as ably demonstrated in First Contact, if you take out the Queen, you take out the collective. In reality, real colonies, like beehives, work nothing like that. If you take out the Queen... The rest of the colony just keeps calm and carries on until a new queen is born, which is achieved by just picking out an embryo at random and feeding it royal jelly. So, in a real Borg scenario, individuals just don't matter, so taking out any one individual doesn't matter either. Whatever master plan a designated leader was pursuing would have already been distributed across the network So if a leader falls, the next follower in line just picks up the baton and keeps going. So how would we humans stack up against the Borg? Well, here we are, dominating the Earth to the extent of adjusting the thermostat, while the poor old bees haven't even landed on the moon yet. So clearly our self-centred, me-generation, capitalist, make-your-own-luck species just totally rule, right? Well, maybe we do, but that might be because we pretty much are Borg already. Firstly, consider just how indispensable human individuals really are. Of course, we all like to think we're indispensable, and generally we have family members ready to back us up on that. And there's no doubt some individuals really have changed the course of history, even though for the most part... History was moving in that general direction anyway. If the Wright brothers hadn't flown, someone else would have done it soon after. And it's pretty likely we'd still have telescopes today, even if Hans Lippershey hadn't invented one first, and if Galileo hadn't been the first to point one at the night sky. 
And it's hard to believe that someone else wouldn't have figured out the whole speed of light limitation business if Einstein hadn't got there first. And if you're still not convinced, consider that over half of us are now wirelessly interconnected to each other, and lots of us have replacement parts, implants and gadgets embedded in our bodies, and most of us are at least educationally engineered from childhood to become specialised in different tasks and skills. And most of us seem pretty happy with the idea of dronehood, readily joining large groups that follow sports teams, mythical deities, or just well-known individuals who might look, sing, or act well, even though such individuals have few qualities that are likely to be useful in taking over the galaxy. So, even without being injected with nanoprobes, or having various tubes and implements attached, we human beings already operate a bit like a distributed neural network. If you take one individual out, it does not greatly disrupt forward progress. And we all have access to constant feeds of information, most of which is about sports and what the good-looking singers and actors are up to, But there is also information about treating diseases, educating the next generation, and building rocket engines. And that information is constantly being updated too. Many of us regularly return to docking stations, also known as couches, where we absorb information through visual and audio transmission and often replenish our energy supplies at the same time And it's not unusual that we sometimes switch off and switch on again in those situations. And in those situations, resistance is futile. Hello, Steve. Oh, hi, Bridget. You still here? Well, yes, you did another Cheap Trek episode. So, I'm still here. But Steve, you did an episode without Barry. Oh yeah, he was doing some theatre stuff. I think he just does that to pass the time between podcasts. So, you just did it yourself? You didn't think to ask someone else to read the scripts? Well, it's hard to find people who like reading podcast scripts without receiving some kind of reward or recognition. I imagine they start feeling like they're just a text-to-speech engine. Yes, I suppose so. But come on, Steve. You can't just go on like this. Huh? Like what? Writing and reading and reading and writing. If people are listening to your material on a regular basis, shouldn't they be giving you some kind of recognition? Now look, I'm not going to start telling people to write a review on iTunes and tell all their friends. Everyone hates that stuff. But you've got over 1,000 subscribers and six Patreon patrons. And they're all awesome. Actually, I had over 1,200 subscribers last week. But Steve, you ought to do something. Okay, Bridget, I promise I'll give myself a good talking to. At least you could tell everyone. They can find a link to Steve's Patreon page if they carefully look through the website. What website? www.cheapastro.com Oh, that website. And Steve, do you think that there could ever be another Cheap Trek episode? Hey, if people like long-drawn-out treatises questioning the plausibility of a hugely popular media franchise, 
then sure. Okay. Well, good night, Steve. Good night, Bridget. Dear Cheap Astronomy, is the artificial gravity we see in Star Trek really possible? Well, yes and no. If you spin a spacecraft, you can readily create artificial gravity on the inner surface of its outer wall. But it is pretty rare that science fiction spacecraft generate artificial gravity by spinning. 2001 A Space Odyssey and the more recent film The Martian are notable exceptions. For the most part, science fiction adopts the position of having its actors behave as though they are just walking around on a studio set on Earth. Excepting those rare moments when turning off the artificial gravity suits the development of the plot. In those instances, it's implied that artificial gravity arises from some kind of technological mechanism, although it is a mechanism that generates very local effects. After all, when someone exits an airlock from their starship, they almost immediately experience weightlessness and will need magnetised boots if they want to walk around on their ship's outer hull. There's nothing in either Star Trek, or indeed in over 90% of other science fiction, that readily explains what makes artificial gravity work. People walk around inside their respective starships, climb ladders, and also slide down them again, all suggesting that artificial gravity exerts an acceleratory force that draws you down to the floor, even when you are well above the floor. So there's clearly more to it than magnetised footwear. Indeed, whatever artificial gravity is, it's pretty darn effective and surprisingly versatile. A starship can undergo some quite extreme manoeuvres, including rapid rotation through 360 degrees or more, without any of the crew losing their footing or their seating, unless, of course, the ship is hit by phaser blasts at which point everyone must immediately hang on to something to avoid being thrown about the cabin. But let's stop for a moment to think about what real gravity is. It is an extraordinary feature of our universe that if you accumulate and concentrate mass into a small volume, space-time gets bent towards the centre of that concentrated mass. So if you are travelling past a planet you will suddenly find your line of trajectory being bent towards the centre of the planet. Even if you land safely on the surface, you will still find space-time trying to direct you down to the centre of the planet. And as a consequence of that, you can comfortably walk around on its surface. But applying these principles to the generation of artificial gravity in a spacecraft makes little sense since any concentration of mass will add to the mass and the inertia of the spacecraft, meaning that you will need to generate more energy to alter its trajectory through space-time. As general relativity advocates like to say, mass tells space-time how to curve, and space-time tells mass how to move. So maybe this is another adjustment that we need to make to the Starship Enterprise, before it's actually built. 
Over the course of this series, we've ascertained that the Enterprise's essential geometry is sound, with a low surface-to-volume ratio that promotes radiative heat loss. However, since warp drive is pretty much science fantasy, the Enterprise's nacelles would instead be linear particle accelerators that would enable fusion-driven iron drive propulsion at potentially very fast, though still subliminal, speeds. And now we need to modify the saucer section to generate artificial gravity, presuming that this is where the crew will spend most of their time. The artificial gravity would be achieved by spinning the saucer horizontally and adjusting its internal architecture so that its decks are aligned radially rather than horizontally so that the outermost sidewall of the rotating saucer would become its ground floor deck. Of course, the position of the bridge might need more consideration, since its traditional place in the centre of the saucer means it would be in almost zero G, which doesn't seem healthy for the captain or senior officers, who always need to be in pretty good shape to fight off all those aliens with lumpy bits on their foreheads. <laughs>